If you have a Bible, and I hope you or somebody around you does that you can look on with, let me invite you to open with me to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, feel free to use table of contents if you need to. And as you're turning there, I want to welcome those of you in Arlington and Montgomery County and Prince William and Loudoun, as well as others online. It's really good to be together around God's Word. I had just finished preaching last Sunday when I stepped back here on stage here at Tyson's and was praying before we took the Lord's Supper, and I thought, there was an important part of the story we just walked through of Jesus healing a blind man that I had left out. And leaving that part out left this text a bit incomplete when it comes to our seeing what's happening here. So we had just talked about the tender compassion and the healing power and the sovereign timing of Jesus and many of the ways Jesus brings healing in our lives and specifically in marriages. And praise God, by the way, for the number of couples who responded to the prompting of God's Spirit last week and who've gotten involved in re-engage as a result of hearing that last week. I even heard about a few single, brother, single brothers and sisters who said those testimonies were so meaningful, they made them want to be a part of re-engaged, even though it's for married couples. Uh, but anyway, just compelling. But if we leave last week where it was, just thinking about the healing Jesus brings in our lives, I think we might run the risk, the danger, of giving in to a temptation to foster a pretty self-centered, self-centered, self-saturated Christianity. Meaning we love to talk about what Jesus does in our lives, which we should, but we don't take the next step to think about what Jesus desires to do in others' lives, and specifically what he desires to do in others' lives through us. So what I want to do is I want to read this passage all over again that we looked at last week. And I mentioned last week that uh, we'd, uh, the plan was this week we'd be moving on to the verses that follow and seeing how even the story we looked at last week deals with spiritual sight. So that's the plan now next week. But this week, I want to read this story again, and I want you to see if you can notice the critical part that some unnamed people play in this story in seeing Jesus bring healing in someone else's life. So follow along with me. If you don't have a Bible, I'll have it up on the screen, but Mark chapter 8, verse 22 says, they came, talking about Jesus and his disciples, to Bethsaida, and some people brought to Jesus a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. 
And Jesus sent him to his home saying, do not even enter the village. So did you see it with that kind of preface that I gave before reading it? Did you see how this whole story started? The disciples and Jesus, they came to Bethsaida and some people doesn't tell us anything about these people. Doesn't tell us their names, what they were like. We don't know who they are, but we just know some unnamed people brought to Jesus a blind man. So a man who couldn't see, which means he couldn't make his way to Jesus on his own. He needed some people to bring him to Jesus. And that seems so simple. But this is such a significant theme. All throughout the stories of Jesus we read in the Bible. That if we're not careful, we might miss it. So I want you to take a little tour with me. Let's hold our place here in Mark chapter 8 and turn back with me to Matthew chapter 4. So I just want to take you on a little tour through uh, the first gospel, the first story of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, the book of Matthew, and see how it leads into the book of Mark in our Bibles. And I want you to see this theme over and over and over again. So I'll have these verses up here on the screen, but if you have a Bible, you might underline, make some notes along the way, just so you don't miss this theme. So just go on a quick tour with me. Start in Matthew chapter 4, verse 24. We're just going to look anywhere we see unnamed people bringing people in need to Jesus. Matthew chapter 4, verse 24 says, Jesus' fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. Get the picture. All these people were healed of afflictions and diseases and pains and demon oppression and seizures and paralytics. They were healed. Why? Because they brought him. They brought to Jesus all these sick, afflicted people. Notice they weren't healed if they didn't, if somebody didn't bring them to Jesus. Keep going to Matthew chapter 8, verse 16. Right after Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, we read, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast them out, cast out the spirits for the word, and healed all who were sick. Notice they were not healed if no one brought them to Jesus. Then you get to Matthew chapter 9, next chapter, verse 2. Behold, some people brought to Jesus a paralytic lying on a bed. We'll talk more about this story in a minute. Keep going to verse 32 in the same chapter, Matthew chapter 9, verse 32. As they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to Jesus. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke. A man spoke for the first time in his life because someone or some group of people brought him to Jesus. And you jump down to Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. We see a similar story. A demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus. And Jesus healed him. So the man spoke and saw. Are you getting the picture here? One more in Matthew. Matthew chapter 14, verse 34. When they crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret. 
And when the men of that place recognized him, they sent around to all the region and they, they, this people, brought to Jesus all who were sick and implored that they might only touch the fringe of his garment. And as many as touch it were made well. So we talked last week about the compassionate, powerful touch of Jesus. And all these people are experiencing it in their sickness. Why? Because some people are bringing them to Jesus. So now, come, so we're working our way toward Mark chapter 8. Go to Mark chapter 1. This gospel account, the story of Jesus' life that we've been walking through over almost the last year, we see this exact same picture from the start. Mark chapter 8, chapter 1, verse 32. That evening at sundown, they brought to Jesus all who were sick or oppressed by demons. The whole city was gathered at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Then the next chapter, remember when we studied this last fall, Mark chapter 2, verse 1. Remember this scene when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days? It was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing him to him, a paralytic carried by four men. They, it doesn't tell us their names, says there are four of them. They brought to Jesus a paralytic. Remember, we imagine the scene. So this crowd gathered, listening to Jesus in a home, overflowing out the doors, and some friends go and get their, their paralyzed friend on a mat. The only way he could get to Jesus is if somebody brought him to Jesus, but even when they get to the house, they couldn't get inside. And remember, we kind of imagine the conversation, like the first guy saying, well, if we can't get inside, let's go up on the roof. And the second guy being like, uh, a lot of good that'll do, genius. He's inside, not outside. And the first guy replies, all right, we'll just kind of put a hole in the roof. And the third guy's like, we can't put a hole in the roof, bro. And the fourth guy's like, why not? We want our friend to be healed. So they, they climb up on the roof. They, can you imagine? In a scene, like a scene like this, in whatever building you're in right now, like the, the roof opening up. Like the language is literally, they unroofed the roof. Look at, look at this. They couldn't get near because of the crowd. They removed the roof. That's one way to bring somebody to Jesus, take off the roof. And when they had made an opening, like, never mind, whoever the owner of this house is, what they're thinking at this moment They let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And then watch this. When Jesus saw what? Their faith. That's that's plural. That's not talking about the guy on the mat. Maybe it includes him, but it's not just him. That's talking about these guys who are letting their friend down on the mat. Can you picture their faces, their sweaty faces? They just did a roof job and are now letting their friend down. And Jesus is looking up and he sees their faith. As they are bringing their friend to Jesus, and he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. We don't know anything about these four guys. We're applauding them right now because of their faith to bring people to Jesus. And when you bring people to Jesus, they experience forgiveness. And they experience healing. And they experience restoration. So now, now we come back to our text today, this simple verse, verse 22, and they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to Jesus a blind man and begged him to touch him. Do you, do you see how this works? One simple verse. You 
bring people to Jesus. You beg Jesus for people. And then you watch Jesus work in power. Ah, yes. Like, this is what we see all over the Bible. Write this down. Bring people to Jesus. Go to people where they are. Bring them from where they are to Jesus. Help them encounter Jesus. Help them hear from Jesus. Help them experience Jesus. They won't do, they won't experience Jesus, encounter Jesus, if you don't bring them to him. Bring people to Jesus, then beg Jesus for people. I love this picture of intercession of faith. They're begging him. In this story, in that story I just mentioned, those guys with those sweaty foreheads lowering their friend down, just saying, please help our friend. Jesus loves for us to bring people to him and to ask him to bring healing to them, restoration to them, help for them. He loves that. So bring people to Jesus, beg Jesus for people, and watch Jesus work in power. Watch Jesus do what only Jesus can do. Think about it. What are, the, what are the things that only Jesus can do that you can't do, I can't do? Heal. Restore. Deliver. Forgive. All sins forever against God. Jesus can do these things. So do we want people around us to experience healing? Restoration? Deliverance? Forgiveness of all their sins against God? Forever? Do we, do we want people around us to be saved from eternity in hell? to experience everlasting life in heaven, starting right now on earth. Because Jesus can do that. He can make that happen. But it won't happen if, if people don't bring other people in need to Jesus. Like, you're starting to see why this story that we looked at last week would be incomplete if we just walked away saying, Oh, I'm so thankful for Jesus' healing in my life. Like, yes, 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 a thousand times over, yes. But it's not just for you. And it's not just for me. Think about people in your family. Think about friends of yours. Think about the people around you in your office that you work with, that you interact with this week that you live near, that you go to school with, do any of them need healing and restoration and forgiveness that only Jesus can bring? And what if God has actually put you in that workplace? He's put you in that school. He's put you in that relationship. He's put you where you are to bring them to Jesus. Beg Jesus for them and watch Jesus work in power. Like, this is what Christians do. This is why, church, we are working right now to resolve conflicts, conflict in our midst biblically. Why? So that we can put our focus together on being busy, bringing people to Jesus, begging Jesus for people, and watching Jesus work in power.
There are five million people in Metro Washington, D.C. right now who don't know the tender compassion and the healing power of Jesus. And we want more than anything to bring them to him. There's three plus billion people in the world who've never even heard the name of Jesus or the truth about who he is and how he loves and how he heals and how he restores. And we want to spend our lives together making his name known among them. This is what it means to be the church. This is what a church does. And I should add, by God's grace, this is what you as a church family are doing. One of the war veterans in our church family said this week, don't forget that it's when you're actually being effective in the battle that the enemy will come after you. And when I see what God is doing in and through this church family, I am not surprised that the enemy, meaning the devil and all his demons, are coming after his church to divide, to discourage, to distract. Why? Because the devil and his demons want us to focus on anything but bringing people to Jesus, begging Jesus for people, and watching Jesus work in power. But you're doing it anyway. So here's what we're going to do. We, we talked about healing in our own lives last week. This week, I want to show you how Mark 8, 22 through 26 is playing out in others' lives through you. So I'm going to invite a group of people to join me up here right now. And as they come, uh, <laughs> these brothers and sisters, they, get, they, they got more than 24 hours notice. They got at least 48 hours notice that I was going to uh, invite them to come and share in front of thousands of people. So, uh, and I should say, the, the big challenge was uh, <laughs> there are so many, so many people who could be sitting up here right now. And this is just a small sampling, but I want to show you on this stage, a glimpse of how Mark 8, 22 through 26 is playing out through you and us as a church family in others' lives right now. So let's dive in. Matt and Sybil sitting to my immediate right uh, who are involved at PW location. And, uh, and part of the picture I hope you'll see is so many different ways we can bring people to Jesus. And so we all saw headlines last August when uh, things started unfolding in Afghanistan. And uh, obviously we've been following that for years, but the way those, those things took a turn in, in August. And uh, we immediately uh, began working through partnerships and plans to uh, say, how can we be a picture of God's love specifically for Afghan refugees as they are coming to our city. And that's led in a variety of different directions. One of those directions intersected with Matt and Sybil, who have become, I joked earlier, like experts in refugee ministry, but they're, that's, it's, uh, I joke because they didn't know much about refugee ministry until months ago, and now they have, they, well, all right, I'll just set the stage with that. Sybil, share with us what happened uh, yeah, over the last few months with a particular family. Okay, um, like you said, we were not experts by any means, <laughs> and we found ourselves um, doing this um, through our church group because our church group has a focus on global outreach, and when this was coming down with the Afghan refugees coming to our country and escaping, and they truly were escaping, um, we, we began to have an interest in helping a family, and we heard you know, about groups like Samaritan's Purse 
And um, Lauren, um, head of local outreach, was meanwhile working to do just that, um, to get our church behind helping a family. So um, we connected with Lauren through some communications that she did to the whole church. And um, she connected with Samaritan's Purse, and we were assigned a family of seven and a half. Uh, So three months ago, we started helping them, and Samaritan's Purse has a wonderful training um, that helps you when you're not an expert, like we aren't, we weren't and aren't, and they have, you know, checklists of things to help them, things like helping them getting all of their legal papers, because they've started some of them, but they don't have all of them, Um, helping them find housing, and helping them um, get the kids enrolled in school, and... um, going to the grocery store, transportation, so many things. Um, and uh, But since we couldn't do it all on our own, um, we realized it really takes a, a village, an, a church group village to do this, but even a church village hmm. to do this. And there's so many, one of the many wonderful things about McLean Bible is that there are many ministries that we could tap into um, such as uh, our head of household, Muhammad, needed um, job training and soft skills, um, interviewing, looking, you know, resume building and that kind of thing. So lo and behold, there is a career ministry here at um, McLean Bible. So Julie from CNM um, has met with him for almost two months on an almost weekly basis, giving, you know, him that training. And... um, there, but there are other things too. Uh, he needed a computer for his job search, and lo and behold, there's a computer ministry. <laughs> and then um, he speaks English quite well, um, but he, uh, the rest of his family does not. So there is ESL, and um, Cindy at Prince William has been wonderful about um, the ESL, some ESL training for them. Um, so through this, not only did you know we work as a village and as a team, but um, it came to be even a family affair. And um, we adopted this family to help them, but we've really seen how they have adopted us. They are so gracious. And anybody that has known people from, you know, that's part of the world, um, not just of Afghanistan, but other places, has known the graciousness they are. These precious people invited us into a their home, when we went there with food for them and um, groceries, they took those groceries that we had given them, you know, they just, they have nothing, they escape with nothing, and they made us a meal. <laughs> so, you know, very, very humbling. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll wrap it up with, uh, we truly feel like a family because, um, at the beginning, we set up a text group, and he asked, Muhammad asked, well, what should we name it? And I said, what, what would you like to name it? And he said, new family. So we are a new family. <laughs> new family. With all kinds of physical needs, and then along the way, weaving gospel threads. Matt, how, how would you, yeah, give us a picture of how that has played out. Well, in our, in our training, we've been told not to be overtly evangelical, but we have been told to, to share Bible stories. Even by, in the training with Samaritan's Purse, Afghan minist, uh, missionaries who have been there for years tell Bible stories. And, um, and we've, all of the team members have had opportunities to do that in these different activities that we've been doing for them week to week. But one of them I want to share with you all is I brought some pancakes over to the family on a Saturday morning 
And Mohammed said that the afternoon before, he was walking home and a young man got in a minor motorcycle accident right in front of him. So he helped him off the road and he was bleeding some, so he, he kind of held him there and, and was ministering to him until the ambulance came and could do some better first aid. And I said, well, Mohammed, you were the good Samaritan. And he had never heard that story. And all the time he, that the family had been in the U.S., he had worked with armed forces, he had never heard the story. So I said, well, there's a story in the Bible that is about Jesus responding to some questions and telling the story about the Good Samaritan. And that really kind of led to the applications and cross-cultural issues and even other stories that he had from his operational times helping other wounded. And so we, it was really a story about helping each other and ministering to other people's needs. It was very exciting. Praise God. I, I uh, yeah. Picture this family of seven and a half, meaning there's one on the way. And if you've spent time with refugees who have suddenly had to leave their country with nothing, um, the opportunity we have to, to bring the love of Jesus to bear on their lives in that moment, uh, I, just, I just would encourage us, seven, Acts 17, 6, 26 and 27, says God is orchestrating the movement of people so that people might seek him and be found by him. Like what if what God is doing in the world with refugee crisis all over the place and the opportunities we have in this city in Metro Washington, D.C. is for the spread of Jesus' love and Jesus' glory in the middle of really hard days. So uh, I praise God for you guys and what you've done to step into that gap, along with many others in our church family. So that's one picture. Now, let me jump to the other end of the line here, uh, Carol Schreiber. When I think of Carol Schreiber, I think of bringing people to Jesus through faithfully teaching his word week in and week out for years in this church family, uh, mainly here at Tyson's, but known in, in many different locations uh, for how... Uh, she has intentionally brought women to Jesus through his word. So how do you see what you do, Carol, as a picture of what we've just walked through in God's word? Um, well, I do feel like I have this most privileged position of um, being with a group of women week after week. Um, but mostly what I see is um, our very faithful table leaders and other women who have brought Jesus to, brought people to Jesus by um, introducing them to the Word of God. Um, over the years, I've seen women come in who don't, don't even own a Bible, and um, they faithfully walk with them week after week. Um, but not only that, um, they beg Jesus um, for healing and for um, both physically and emotionally. Um, actually, I remembered um, earlier a story of during the heart of COVID when we were just meeting on Zoom, and um, a wom um, woman was um, a part of our Bible study that was really ready to pass into paradise uh, with Jesus, and her table leaders, despite COVID, um, faithfully walked with her in her home, um, um, and it's, um, but there's story after story, and this past year, um, just at our sharing day, a um, couple, um, just last week, so many women just shared their testimonies about how um, the women at their tables, their table leaders, have just brought them to a deeper knowledge of Jesus and really cared for them in hard places. Um, so I 
always like to give a shout out to our Wednesday women and just the women at this church who are just showing Jesus through their compassionate care and the study of the Word of God. Amen. I want to echo that shout out. Well, I'm, I'm actually going to echo it even bigger in just a moment, but uh, uh, you also had an opportunity recently to go overseas and spend time with women in a, a Middle Eastern context where they are doing the same thing. Share with us just a little bit of your reflection from that. Yeah, that was similarly an incredible privilege that I had. I think there was about 100 women that came from all different um, Arabic-speaking countries and non-Christian companies and they, uh, countries, and they came to this women's conference literally to um, learn how to teach scripture and to bring it back to their countries, to, um, to women in their churches, their communities. Um, and it, it was a lot of work, this conference, by the way. So um, the fact that these women were willing to come and do the hard work of learning how to know and, and communicate the Word of God. Um, one story was this woman in just a very heartfelt way. Um, she was from Morocco and doesn't yet have a church family. Um, and, it, you know, asked us to beg Jesus um, to um, um, bring a, a church family. And yet she was at the this conference in faith, learning mm. how to teach scripture because she knew that God would raise up the people that um, he needed to for her to pass the word of God along. Um, women from Lebanon, Egypt, Iraq, um, Lebanon, the women from Lebanon were in a severe economic crisis and they shared how um, the challenges of um, sharing the word of God um, and caring for their community, um, and not only their church community, but those around them. Um, but it, again, it was just this wonderful picture of, of women, caring for women through um, the word of God yeah. and bringing Jesus um, in a real and personal way. It was a wonderful opportunity and privilege. So a big shout out to women across this church family at all kinds of locations and women in the church around the world who are making the word of Jesus known among other women specifically in need in all kinds of ways. Uh, all right. And speaking of so women of all ages, Caroline, um, who is a senior in high school uh, here at Tyson's uh, and serves in all kinds of ways, is actually helping lead worship, musical worship today here, often does that here. But Caroline, uh, give us a little glimpse into, yeah, just who you are. When did you become a follower of Jesus? Um, okay, sure. Um, so as he said, I'm a senior in high school. I'm a student at James Madison High School. Um, I came to NBC on and off um, from a young age, but I didn't um, give my life to Christ until I was 12. And then when I was 13, I started getting involved here and serving here. Um, I mentioned uh, my involvement in NBC because NBC and my testimony kind of go hand in hand because uh, it was at NBC where I first heard the gospel explained to me explicitly. And, and by God's grace, I responded to it and repented. So I just want to say I'm really grateful for um, NBC's commitment in sharing the gospel continually and clearly and like adults, um, teens, kids alike. Yeah. Amen. So... God, uh, yeah, praise God for teenagers hearing the gospel clearly and explicitly and not just letting it stop with them. So, uh, Caroline, share with us just what, how God put it on your heart to bring your friends to Jesus, specifically at school. Yeah, so um, early in high school, I began to feel a burden for the people at my school. It was clear that they were... Um, 
anxious and seeking to find their identity in, in, in anything that felt remotely fulfilling. So there was sports or academics or college or popularity. Um, and yet this, at the same time, they were so um, eager to belittle God as weak or immoral or um, non-existent. And, um, so I looked for, to see if there was a Christian group at my school, only to find that it had disbanded the year before. Um, and so I continued to have, you know, those one-on-one -on -one gospel conversations with my friends, but at the same time, I really believed in the effectiveness of um, making those long-lasting relationships and bringing um, not just believers, but unbelievers into group settings where they can see how Christians like comfort and intercede for one another, opens God's word together and, and apply it. Um, so... Yeah, God started to plant a desire in me, really a, a dream in me to uh, start a Bible study group at my school and organize a Christian community where um, we're committed to sharing the gospel. Um, and I did want to share what I wrote in my journal uh, a long time ago um, when I was thinking through this. Hold on, give me a sec. It's in messy handwriting, so, okay. Um, I was, yeah, I was thinking through how I could obey the Great Commission as a teenager. So I wrote, missions out in the world someday, but more attainably, missions right here at my school where the need for the gospel is so great. What would it look like, Lord, if Madison High School was a place where your name was lifted high and glorified? So I wrote that two years ago, and um, looking back, he's been just so faithful in answering that question and guiding me along the way. Um, so yeah, the pandemic made it difficult, but I reached out to an FCA representative in my junior year, um, got a, more student leaders to help me start the club, and we had a really strong kickoff last fall. And we meet every week, um, and you know, God's been so gracious. I've been seeing people who I would have never expected to show up to the meetings. I've seen people who, you know, maybe don't want to talk that much, but they come week by week. Um, what the student leaders and I try to do is is invite new people to every meeting and then build that connection with them. Uh, this semester we've been sharing our testimonies and we've been doing our Bible studies in the Book of Mark. It's a coincidence. Um, because we chose the Book of Mark because we wanted uh, our classmates to see and meet Jesus for who he is. And the Book of Mark, like no other book, uh, shows what he did, what he said, his perfect character, his great narrative. Um, and every meeting also, we, we really connect the passage to the gospel because it's, it's the most important thing that we all need to hear. Um, so yeah, in this season, God's been really teaching me that it's not, that he delights not only in the greatness of the work, but also in the faithfulness of the worker. Um, he doesn't delights not only in attendance numbers and um, tangible successes, but also in integrity um, and steadfastness and most importantly, love. Um, and, and lastly, I just say that um, I'm really thankful for God's grace and uh, his power that's made perfect in weakness because I'm kind of shy and, and cowardly and not that good with words and quick to turn a blind eye to needs of people. So um, if it had not been for God's kindness and patience toward me, I would not have stepped out and done anything at all. So um, all glory be to his name. And um, I'm just amazed at how he's working in my life and in the lives of um, people at school. So, yeah. I don't think our conclusion is that Caroline is not good with words. I think <laughs> our conclusion is God, by his grace, has, we just praise God for his grace in you, Caroline. And I should add, 
Caroline's story, I, I'm thinking of other teenagers, even specifically some graduating seniors who are doing similar things. Like, I wish you could hear stories of what God is doing, not just to reach the next generation here, but to reach the next generation through the next generation in our church family. It's awesome. So, okay, so we'll keep kind of shifting gears, getting different pictures. Uh, I've asked Arlen to share about how God has led him to be a part of bringing not just non-believers to Jesus in need, but our brothers and sisters in Christ to Jesus in need, specifically in one part of the world where they have been persecuted in unimaginable ways. So Arlen, why don't you share with us about that? Thank you. Um, it, it started in uh, January of 2021 when um, Pastor, you, Pastor Platt, and Pastor Mike, uh, asked the entire church, including those on staff, to pray and trust God for his guidance in their lives regarding going on short-term, mid-term, or long-term missions. So we began to pray, my wife and I. We, uh, we went into fasting and praying that week, and it came so clear on our hearts that the Lord was impressing northern Nigeria. Now, northern Nigeria is very scary because you have the Boko Haram. Some of you remember the Chibok girls that were kidnapped over 270 of them were kidnapped in 2014, and those were kidnapped by these vicious guys. They are Islamist uh, jihadists who are supported by Al-Qaeda, and they, when they come to attack you, they come with rocket, like rocket ships. They, they attack you full force. So I was like, oh, Lord, no, not, not northern Nigeria. And, you know, but interestingly, I, you know, when I had that impression, I shared it with my wife, and we said, let's pray for confirmation. And within 12 hours... Somebody who had come to this church from Nigeria two or three years prior, uh, Reverend Daniel Dogo, um, he had come because he was leading over 232 churches as the overseer for one, one ministry in Nigeria, and he was persecuted. They tried to kill him several times, so the voice of the martyrs ministry had called him to come so he can share his story with churches in the U.S., and so that man had been here prior. That is the man who emails me coincidentally that same day. And he says, I'm depressed. I'm going through uh, suicidal thoughts. I feel like killing myself. My wife has left me. <clears throat> Excuse me. I want to leave my, my ministry. I have given up. Is there any hope for me? And as a, I'm also a trained counselor professionally, so my tendency was to, to break up the books and start talking about, you know, diagnosing him with, with major depressive disorder and so forth. But the Lord helped me. I remember the scripture that had just been preached, I think, that Sunday before, First Kings chapter 19, about, you know, Elijah the prophet also being depressed and almost quitting the ministry, wanting to die. And I used that same scripture to bring him to Jesus' word, to bring him hope in God's word. And Reverend Daniel, within two weeks or so, he had been in a mental health institution for two and a half months with all this antidepressants, and it wasn't working for him. And so he felt like he was really getting help after we began using the word of God a lot. I'm not saying anything against antidepressants and so forth. I'm just saying for him, it wasn't working that much as much as the word of God. So when he and I began to talk, I it's like begging Jesus for him to rescue him from this. And the Lord really helped him. From that point, he said, you know what? I know so many people 
in these other parts of northern Nigeria that need this kind of help, pastors who are about to quit the ministry, uh, widows whose husbands were all killed by Boko Haram. They had over 40 widows and so many pastors who are about to quit the ministry. And he said, would you come and help us too? Would you come and bring us hope? So I did not know what to do but to trust God. And as the Lord helped and many other people who helped us, we began to go in March. We were In May of last year, we were with over 300 of the pastors and leaders in a place called uh, Miango, and uh, we saw some of the people that have been hurt badly, traumatized by the attacks from the uh, Islamists, and they came to our trainings, and some of them were really helped. Thank God for that. And even in November, we went back with, and we were with over 450, 400 and, um, 400 and something of the pastors there who came for training, and in that same city where we were training, we, had, uh, we were training in a, in a cathedral that was being reconstructed because Boko Haram had burnt it down. It was a Lutheran cathedral, and uh, some of the women attending the training had their husbands killed already, so they were widows. And so we had this very encouraging uh, situation where not only were they learning and saying, we'll take it back to our families and help them through God's word to bring hope to our people, but there was this particular case where one of these young men who was helped, you know, uh, the man who had come to this church, by the way, Reverend Daniel, is the one who helped this man. Reverend Daniel told me a story of a man who's called Matthew, whose father, and I know it's graphic a little bit, but his father, he was an elder at the church, his father was, was driving with him somewhere, he was just 17 years old, when these insurgents, I think, stopped the car, and they, you know, they, they wanted to murder him, and he begged them, he had some money in the back of his car, he asked if he could give them money and they refused. And so they went on to kill him and really cut his body into pieces and poured it on his son and told his son that, see, this is an example for you. And then they gave him the money. They said, you can go and help yourself with the money he was trying to give us. And his son left that place and said, I will never be a Christian. I will never follow this God. Where was God when they killed my father who was an elder at church? And so his mother in a place called Kaduna actually brought him because he had said, I will never follow God anymore. Brought him to this man, Reverend Daniel, who had been helped, who was also suicidal. And this man began to help this young man. Began to pass on what he had received. I think of this scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. The God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation, that with the same comfort wherewith we have been comforted by God, we comfort other people. And that's what he did. He took what he had received. He passed it on to this young man. And in six months, Matthew got saved. And Matthew said, I want to become a missionary. So we praise God for that kind of work. And uh, yeah, so. Arlen told me that story after he had come back. And I just, I thought about our martyred brother in heaven. And I'm just so thankful that God put it on your heart. I can't imagine. So if that happened to me, like I, I want my kids to know Jesus is worth it. And so for you to step in and others, Reverend Daniel, just what God has done uh, to come alongside our brothers and sisters in need, bringing them to Jesus. Uh, so, all right, a couple more stories. One, uh, staying, so that's West Africa. Uh, I go to East Africa. I, I talked earlier this week with Naomi and Dr. Z. Uh, if you've been around NBC for a while, you may have heard of them. Uh, they couldn't be here today, so they're not up here on stage with me because uh, I said, do not rearrange 
your travel for a graduation this weekend, just, just I will share about what God has done in this couple, so originally from Ethiopia, and have been living here, living the American dream, Naomi would say, for the nice new clothes and the nice new vacation. That's what she lived for uh, until uh, God opened their eyes to the orphan crisis in Ethiopia, uh, led them down a journey to adopt two boys from Ethiopia, and in that process saw conditions and the, the, the gravity of the vulnerable children's situation in Ethiopia, and they said, we've got to live for a different dream. Uh, so we're going to trade in the American dream for a uh, dream of seeing every one of these children in Ethiopia, five million in this uh, crisis, cared for by Ethiopian churches. And what God has done since then to raise up hundreds of Ethiopian churches who are doing foster care, doing adoption, doing job training, uh, doing uh, ministry to special uh, orphans with special needs, all kinds of different ministries happening through the Ethiopian church and the ambassador to Ethiopia involved in that, the prime minister, the president of Ethiopia, involved what God has done through this couple. It's called Orphan Care Ethiopia. I'll just give you a, a quick glimpse. This is from the end of a video uh, that just highlights what God is doing by his grace. Watch this with me. In 2018, we started our uh, foundation, Orphan Care Ethiopia, to address the physical, emotional, psychological, and spiritual needs of orphans and vulnerable children in Ethiopia. The Orphan Care Ethiopia vision is to mobilize Ethiopians for the care of the five million vulnerable children. We call this local solution by the local people for the local problem. Five million vulnerable children is a big problem. Big problems need big solution. Our idea of the big solution is the people of Ethiopia. We would like to invite you to join this journey, to join this movement. Together, we can make a lasting impact in the lives of vulnerable children in Ethiopia. Thank you. Praise God. For his grace. And Naomi, Dr. Z, many people across this church family who are involved with Orphan Care Ethiopia. And then I'm, I'm sitting there watching that, thinking about how that's playing out right here. And many who are involved in foster care and adoption ministry here locally and working with pregnancy care centers on behalf of vulnerable children, their parents. So, so much there. One more story. You see how it's hard to, like, bring this down. I'll actually share all the people in just a minute that I didn't uh, have a chance to invite to be up here. But I want to tell you one more story from NBC Loudon. So Matt Broderick is a, six, a 76-year-old Marine, retired Marine general. I want to make sure I get that right. So 76-year-old retired Marine general who leads a ministry that helps provide furniture and just basic needs along those lines to families, particularly single moms and their children who don't have those things. So they get calls from Loudoun County social workers, organizations like the Loudoun Abused Women's Shelter, and they coordinate a way for these families, again, usually single moms and their kids to have furniture and uh, grocery store and gas station gift cards and uh, just basic things. Sometimes it's new furniture. Sometimes it's gently used furniture that's donated by members of our church family. And they go and provide. I heard one story this last week of a woman with her five-year-old and three-year-old kids. So 
single mom, five-year-old, three-year-old kids who are sleeping on the floor with blankets. They don't have beds. And we found out and said we could provide bunk beds. And the five-year-old said, what's a bunk bed? And Matt, 76-year-old retired Marine general says, buddy, I, you can't wait to see what a bunk bed is. And so Matt brings it in. These kids watch him put it together over the next hour or so. And he's got these beds towering now. And the five-year-old turns to the three-year-old and says, isn't God great? Isn't God great? Bring kids to encounter Jesus. So Brooke up here, uh, who uh, serves as our central director for children's ministry, and her husband serves as location pastor at Loudon, so that's where their family is planted, was involved in one of these stories recently. And I want to ask Brooke just to share with us what God did in using Matt to bring people to Jesus. Thank you, David. It is an amazing ministry, and it's run by the one and only Matt Broderick. Recently, our furniture ministry was put in contact with a young woman from Tunisia who was coming out of law, which is the Loudon Abused Women's Shelter. Um, she was connected with Matt and the furniture ministry. We were able to provide linens, sheets, bedding, furniture, all the necessary supplies to get her back on her feet again. And so we got her set up in her apartment, and this is where the story gets really interesting. Every time after Matt furnishes a family with supplies, he always prays over them. And so he prayed over this woman like he usually does. And he said in that moment, he felt a prompting from the spirit to go deeper into conversation with her. So he said, um, are you Muslim? And she responded, yes. And he said, well, do you want to know about Jesus? And surprisingly, she said she did. So he wanted to make sure she understood all of the supplies she had been given weren't dependent on her listening to him talk about Jesus or wanting to know more about Jesus. He just wanted her to know that we cared about her and that as followers of Jesus, we wanted to serve her and help her in this way. And she said she completely understood, and she still wanted to know more about Jesus. So at that moment, Matt felt like he was in a little bit over his head, and so he picked up the phone and called his location pastor, who happens to be my husband. Matt knew that our family had spent several years in the Middle East making uh, disciples among Muslim people groups, and so he wanted Britain to go with him to this young woman's house and tell her, about Jesus, but because of several cultural norms, Britt knew that it wouldn't be best for two men to show up at a young woman's apartment to tell her about Jesus. So my husband picked up the phone and called me and said, hey, can you go tell this woman about Jesus? And I don't know about you, but that doesn't happen in my life on a regular basis. So I said, yeah, I'd love to go tell her. When can I go? So the next day, Matt and I found ourselves knocking on her apartment door to where she welcomed us in for tea. Ironically, on the first day of Ramadan, which is the holy month of fasting in the Islamic faith. So we sat down in her new apartment on the new furniture she had just been given. And there were Ramadan decorations all around in the living room. And there were incense burning in the background. And I said, just tell me your story. Who are you? And so she starts to tell me that for the last many, many years of her marriage, her husband had been severely abusive, so abusive that she assumed we already knew who she was because she had a reputation in Loudoun County as the woman who always was beaten and the police had to come to her house. And so we explained to her that we didn't know her, we had never heard of her, but that we loved her and that we cared about her. And I remember she looked at me and she said, um, one snowy night back this winter, my husband and I got into an argument and he beat me again, but this time he kicked me out of the house. 
And she said, I didn't have any family, any friends anywhere around. So I didn't know where to go. I got in my car and I drove to the local mosque. And she said, when I got to the mosque, I asked them to help me. And they handed me a form and said, fill this out and we'll get back to you. And she said, she had nowhere to go. So for the next couple of nights, as the snow beat down and the temperatures dropped into the teens, she lived in her car. She was eventually put into the women's shelter and then eventually connected to Matt. And I remember she looked at me and she said, in my greatest moment of need, the people of my own religion didn't help me, but this man, and she pointed to Matt, he loved me and cared for me and served me when he didn't have to which was a great opportunity for me to transition into Matt met your physical needs, but there's somebody that can meet your greatest need. And so I walked through the gospel with her, explained to her that she was created in the image of a holy God and she was loved by him, but that her sins separated from him. And then we walked through the gospel. And if you've never shared the gospel with somebody that truly has never heard the story, it's so amazing. We got to the part where Jesus died and she had huge tears coming down her cheeks and she said, he died? I said, he did. And then we got to the resurrection and she said, he live? He live? I said, he does. <laughs> he live. And so that started a journey where she and I have been meeting together. We've had multiple phone conversations probably hundreds of emojis with flowers and smiley faces and hearts on them. Um, but that relationship led to just a few weeks ago on Easter Sunday, she actually professed faith in Christ. And we've been meeting together on a regular basis for discipleship. I, I just hope you're making the connection. Like, women don't meet Jesus in his word if somebody's not bringing his word to them. Suffering brothers and sisters in West Africa don't get healing if somebody doesn't bring Jesus into the heart of that need for healing. Vulnerable children in Ethiopia don't know the father to the fatherless if someone doesn't bring them to the father to the fatherless. Uh, uh, an abused woman doesn't know the love and the gentleness of Jesus unless a retired Marine general goes and brings furniture to her. And students don't hear the good news from their peers unless a student starts a Bible study in that school. And refugees don't hear about the love of Jesus unless somebody steps in and amidst all the political fray says, we love you and we care for you. And we wanna point you to Jesus. This is what we do as a church. So would you give God glory with me for his grace and these brothers and sisters. And so, so just to give you a glimpse of who I wasn't able to interview today, I didn't interview the thousands of people we're working with in emergency relief in Ukraine right now who are hearing the gospel through our partnerships with churches and pastors there. The Iranian pastors were helping in Iran, in Farsi, to be able to spread the gospel among 100 million Farsi speakers in Iran and Tajikistan and Afghanistan the brothers and sisters in Nepal and India and the Middle East who were helping plant healthy biblical churches in Hindu and Buddhist and Muslim communities. A story this week of two Muslims in a very strictly closed country who just came to faith in Jesus and were baptized. 
brothers and sisters in the UAE who are spreading the gospel on college campuses and college students who are reading the Bible, hearing the word of Jesus for the first time in their lives. Hundreds of pastors in Kazakhstan who were helping with biblical resources and theological training. And the stories coming from these pastors, one terminally ill Kazakh woman who came to faith in Jesus, had a month to live. She shared the gospel with all her friends and family for the first time. These people are hearing it through her mouth before she goes to be with the Lord. A Kazakh surgeon who came to faith in Christ. Now he's doing medical clinics, sharing the gospel in remote Kazakh villages, bringing the sick to Jesus. This same Kazakh surgeon, so make the connection, has now got involved in Ukraine relief as he's spreading the gospel there. I didn't interview all the NBC missionaries that we've sent out to countries like India and Cambodia and Senegal and Thailand and Malaysia and Germany and different countries in the Middle East who are living right now, bringing people to Jesus in those places. In addition to all the other local ministries we have going on through different Title I school communities, in nursing homes, in recovery centers, in jails, and on and on. So this is what I mean whenever you hear me say, we have such an opportunity as a church to move forward together, thriving, united, bringing hope to the nations, starting right here in this city. So let's give ourselves to this church. Let's not be divided, distracted from this great privilege we have as the overflow of healing Jesus has brought in our lives to bring other people to Jesus, to beg Jesus on their behalf, and to watch Jesus work in power. And even as I say that, I realize some of you are here today because someone brought you here and invited you to be here because they care about you and they want you to know the tender compassion and healing power of Jesus, to know the greatest news in the world that all of us, though we have sinned against God, are separated from God in a fallen world and we deserve eternal judgment separated from God. God loves us. God loves you. And he loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus, to live a life of no sin. And then even though he had no sin to die, he died. He died on a cross to pay the price for the sins of anyone who would trust in him. But he is not dead. He lives. He is alive and right now through his spirit is speaking to your heart, inviting you to trust in him, to do what only he can do, to heal you spiritually, to restore you to relationship with God, to forgive you of all your sins, and to draw you into an everlasting, eternally satisfying life in him. So I invite you to trust in him today, and for all who know him, let's live together as a church family to bring others to him. Let's live to beg Jesus for them and let's live to see Jesus work in power. Will you bow your heads with me? All across this room, other locations, wherever you might be online. And just to ask this moment, right where you are sitting, Have you experienced the healing power of Jesus? Have you experienced forgiveness of all your sins through faith in him? You trusted him as the Lord of your life 
And if the answer to that question is not a resounding yes in your heart, I invite you right now just to pray to him as he's speaking to your heart right now and say, God, I trust in your love for me today. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, rose from the grave so that I could have eternal life. So today I trust in you to forgive me of all my sin against you, restore me to relationship with you. And you say that in your heart to God. He heals, he restores, he delivers, he saves you by faith in Jesus. And when you put your faith in him and for all who have put your faith in him, can we just pray together right now, God help us to bring other people to know Jesus. God, please, in all of our lives and in our church family, help us not to be distracted from this glorious privilege you've given us. Even this week, God, how, how can each of us in our lives and workplaces and neighborhoods and schools Bring somebody to Jesus. Can you just think about that right now before the Lord? How can you, this way, what is one practical way you can bring somebody to Jesus? God, help us to do this. Help us to focus on this this week, not just experiencing your healing in our lives, but introducing others to you that they might experience your healing in their lives. God, thank you for what you're doing in our church family. We just pray together today, do it more and more and more and more, we pray. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, amen.